Hello, everyone. This is Learn Easy Cast, episode eight. Um, we're recording today on December fourth, twenty twenty. Hey, Rico, how you doing? Hey, Pat. You know, I'm I'm actually on the road to recovery. I'm actually doing pretty well now. Oh, good. We can start on that. Uh, what's on your mind? Our first segment. Uh, tell us, Rico, <laughs> what's on your mind uh, after recovering from uh, co having COVID nineteen. Yeah, so you know, um, I was really, uh, you know, just kind of not shocked, but I guess just caught off guard that I got infected with COVID. Um, unfortunately, I had a family member pass away. I was invited to the funeral to be a pallbearer, and I went, wore a mask, but um, I guess somewhat foolishly decided that it was okay to have dinner um, at a relative's house wow. where we obviously weren't wearing masks and. Um, ended up getting infected along with others, not even knowing that I was infected, not knowing that others were infected. And so I wow. um, started to feel the ill effects probably almost a full week later, like six or seven days later. And it got to the point where mm -hmm. uh, I felt like I had flu-like symptoms. I had a sore throat. I had a body ache. I might've even had a fever, but I couldn't find my thermometer when I felt the worst. Um, but overall, my symptoms are pretty mild. I mean, maybe moderate. I don't really know what the distinction is there. Understood. Understood. Luckily, uh, uh, luckily made a, a pretty full recovery, but I decided to get tested once I found out my, uh, some family members got, you know, tested positive and I came out positive. Wow. So I've been quarantining in my, in my basements, uh, since then. And I, I hope to, you know, be able to leave quarantine after the 14 days. I think the CDC now says 10 days is enough after your symptoms kind of subside. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I think it just goes to show that um, we certainly can't just think that this is just, you know, uh, going away on its own or, or that mm -hmm. we're going to be immune if we just wear masks. So you have to really, really be careful. And if you're associating people outside of your own household, you run the risk of getting infected, um, you know? And so I think it's just really, really important that people take precautions take care and uh don't put yourself at unnecessary risk and it's unfortunate right we're all we've missed many important events i mean thanksgiving as an example uh, i spent thanksgiving by myself oh that sounds horrible yeah i mean my wife who's colombian cooked up this amazing uh thanksgiving meal she was <laughs> she was surprised i was surprised that it was delicious so i've been uh eating turkey and the fixings for the last few days so it's been it's gotcha. been great Okay. Oh, wow. So, but you were lucky to be able to um, separate yourself from your wife, uh, uh, stay in the basement of your home. Yeah, not yeah. everyone is that lucky. Um, yeah. uh, but I have two two floors in my house, and yeah. so my wife and her parents who are living with us, yeah. um, you know, all tested negative. So uh, it's just it's just crazy how you know the virus can be spread, and and you know. Um, you know, you just got to really make sure you're taking precautions. But, you know, I, but, I'm hopeful. Yeah. yeah. What about um, this this idea, the news that came out that um, looks like we're going to have a vaccine soon. Um, what do you think uh, about that? Uh, is, is that something we should trust? Or like I, I'm, you know, I'm in Europe and the, the regulations are a little bit stricter than in, in the U.S., um, uh, I, I believe it's Pfizer that's come up with a, a vaccine, also another company called Moderna, uh, and they basically are racing to get it out there. 
Um, are, are you, are you, uh, you know, do you see some light at the end of the tunnel from your side um, when it comes to uh, um, some folks getting this vaccine uh, next year, early next year? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's, 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 uh, if it's not light at the end of the tunnel, at the very least, it's uh, some inspiration to keep us all inspired and hopeful for a better tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, I think the issues, of course, when it comes to the vaccine is how readily available is it going to be? I know the Pfizer vaccine needs to be kept at ultra cold temperatures. <laughs> I think the Moderna vaccine is not quite as sub, sub zero, whatever. Um, but, you know, I think the real issue is even more so than just getting the vaccine is it convincing people to actually take it. And what I've read is that there are just so many people who are just anti-vaxxers. They don't believe in vaccine. They, they, they believe in these conspiracies that the government... Uh, you know, conspiracy that they're trying to implant some sort of like tracking device or some kind of mind control or, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just crazy. Yeah, I, I'm wondering about that. It's, it's also part and parcel of, of what uh, Donald Trump has, uh, I shall not say his name, I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, it's been uh, part of the uh, <laughs> who, who is now uh, having to take his own advice, uh, you're fired. Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that um, unfortunately, uh, just the lack of leadership under his administration has led to, I think, this more polarized nation that I live in. Yeah. And you know, the United States, I think, for, for many people, was always held in high esteem as kind of a nation to look up to. Yeah. But I think the reality is our own dirty laundry and, and our, our own uh, issues, internal issues, are coming to light. And it's just, we're no longer, I think, a country that people can really look up to. I mean, throughout our history, there's been a lot of issues that are not obviously widely reported about the, the dirty deeds that we do as a country. And um, I think that Trump, you know, he just is able to get his followers to believe whatever he says, regardless of <laughs> any lack of or any um, real proof or any real uh, validity to what he says, you know, and I, I sort of like liken it to, uh, yeah. you know, these lemmings, you know, yeah. that, these lemmings that just run and jump off a cliff and ultimately perish because they fall to their death. <laughs> I sort of feel that that's kind of what Donald Trump does with his followers. You know, yeah. he just basically sends them running in a direction, oh, you know, fake news, uh, yeah. election fraud. And, and, you know, now with the vaccine, it's like, oh, I'm not going to take the vaccine because Donald Trump says it's whatever. I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not even sure what he said about the vaccine, but my point is, yeah, what he says is believed by, it looks like half of the country, you know, so. Um, at least yeah, exactly, Rico. Um, yeah, they've been kind of brainwashed, um, probably like in the Matrix, right? They've taken that blue pill and like you said, <laughs> has started running um, to that cliff. Yeah. But I'm not going to let that, you know, control me. I, I just hope your family members and my family members um, listen to reason and understand that as long as we want this pandemic to be uh, controlled, we will eventually need to all um, reach herd immunity and herd immunity in this case would be through vaccination, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, you count me in. I mean, the minute yeah. it's made available, I know that the, uh, yeah. the, you know, the most vulnerable and including elderly living in um, yeah. homes and assisted living facilities as well as the frontline workers, right? You know, the nurses and physicians who are <clears throat> taking care of the those that are already infected with COVID should be getting the vaccine first. Yep. But I, I think, you know, after that, I think teachers as well probably need to be uh, in line. I mean, they're the ones who are still working with a lot of people yep. in, in a group setting. 
So hopefully, you know, hopefully the vaccine can come out soon and get it into the people who get it to the people we can get it to the people who need it. Yep. Uh, I totally agree. Yeah. So let's, let's move on to a, another segment that we'd like to start up with our audience. We are always testing out new segments, you know, and we're calling this one, what's life really like. Um, and uh, in this case, um, we were trying to figure out, okay, how's uh, life where you are Rico and where I am when it comes to um, getting help to, to starving artists right now during the pandemic. And uh, we came across an interesting story. Um, Rico, can you tell the audience a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah well, I, I just wanted to kind of, you know, just follow up with what you said. I, I think we want, you know, our listeners to understand, you know, what are the differences mm -hmm. of life in the US versus life in, in Europe? Uh, I think because of all this discussion with the pol political situation in this country and people not really understanding the different forms of government. So yeah. this is our first foray into discussing what life is like in different locations. And so, yeah, I, I wanted to just talk about um, mm -hmm. the Asian American artist, Yi Stanley Filosh, um, <laughs> who is uh, Haitian American. Um, and, you know, he's a very successful artist. He, his artwork has sold um, for six figures. And uh, if you look up his art online, it's definitely gonna cost a pretty penny. Um, in fact, I was a little disappointed. I couldn't find art that was affordable for me. But, uh, <laughs> In fact, I have $60,000 lying around to, um, to beautify my home. But, so, um, so, Guy, please, if you listen to this podcast, help us out. <laughs> we're, trying to, we're trying to support um, um, you uh, so you can support other artists. <laughs> yeah, but so what, what he does, you know, I, I was reading an article on him, and we'll, we'll, we'll link to the articles in the show notes. But ultimately, you know, he was you know, contemplating buying a Rolex, right? A $15,000 watch, which for most people is unattainable at best and uh, just a pipe dream you know, for most. And um, he really started to realize though that he was very fortunate to be in the situation that he was in. And he was really thinking about, well, how can I support others, right? In our country, the social net, uh, you know, government assistance in regards to stimulus checks and other things have been running out. The unemployment situation is, is become very dire. Yeah. So he started to support artists by buying works of art for emerging artists, not already established artists, but emerging exactly. artists who, who was looking to buy pieces of artwork between three and five hundred dollars, I believe. So mm -hmm. he really helped them start their careers in regards to selling their art. And he said he only buys what he likes. He's not just sort of like <laughs> Oprah Winfrey, just like, hey, I'm buying your art. I'm buying your art. We're all exactly. You know, he, he's really trying to support um, emerging artists. Yes. And by contributing to these artists, he's really helping them out. And he's also been able to inspire other people to help him in his mission of supporting art. And I, I think this really speaks to the larger issue yes. about differences in the way that artists are supported in the United States or lack of support um, and really looked at in many ways as not a true profession in the way that it probably should be and and it certainly is in other places and and that's where we can do a little bit of a comparison because in germany uh the bundestag the uh german parliament in the sense has um decided especially um a directive uh that comes from i would believe angela merkel in the, that sense that that artists should be supported and and it's not 
kind of it's not a total blank check situation but at the same time the minimum that the artists are getting sometimes can be way above what they earned the year before or during the same period and then this is happening for all of germany to be honest and 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 that kind of support um uh, would allow artists to continue to do their work while they isolate and hopefully um survive the pandemic and, and, and in fact, uh, you know, the job situation in general um, is very difficult right now for um, many um, professions, especially in the restaurant and entertainment industry. And the German government has decided to support all types of uh, people um, and workers in, in these industries with a minimum stipend, yeah? And so we'll, um, we'll be able to to say that the difference is the German government is, is, is really supporting from the top down these artists and these uh, uh, workers. Uh, and uh, in the US, it, it, it comes uh, maybe on a state by state basis because of, unfortunately, the lack of leadership on the federal level, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's sad. It's just a, different in, in, a difference in philosophy. And I think yeah. that unfortunately, you know, if you're not somebody who just wants to live the sort of normal, nine to five life working for a company that's going to provide you with insurance where you don't have a chance to practice your craft to show your talents you're sort of left to your own devices and really forced to be the starving artist to eke out an existence and that's unfortunate i think that we all benefit from art yeah. and for anybody who, who questions the notion that artists shouldn't be supported i think you really need to question why you even hold that belief and i think that mm -hmm. you know it's great to see i think again anytime you, you know you expect others to help you out it, it, it's just in the united states that's that's like a, a red flag like you know to ask for help was like a it's like a dirty word almost you know and i think that it's great to see a guy like Guy stanley filoche really taking the leadership and taking the reins on supporting other artists because unfortunately in the united states the government the federal government certainly isn't doing enough on that front all right so, so so that's that's the the end of our segment here. Um, so now we'll cut to our experts' corner, and uh, and and I think well, you'll like that interview. So let's go to that. Okay. Welcome to our uh, interview segment in our podcast, which we uh, call our experts' corner. And today, we're going to be interviewing Lazaros Keskinidis, who is a German and Greek teacher, as well as a licensed Telk oral examinator. As a passionate polyglot, helping other students who want to learn a new language is his top priority. He achieves this from his experience teaching and learning as a student himself, having studied German, Greek, English, Chinese, and Hindi. So far, he has taught four of these languages in four countries over the last seven years and has received remarkable feedback from all of his students. According to Lazaros, the key to success is paying attention to the individual needs of the learner and he is really dedicated to helping students in whatever way possible. Games, digital audio workstation based audio training, as well as self-created practice sheets will give students a modern unconventional learning experience with a focus on the requirements and success, no matter what their goals are. So welcome, Lazaros, to the Learn Easy cast. How are you today? Hello, I'm good, thanks a lot. 
glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And I'm looking forward to do the interview with you. Great. Well, let's jump right in. So just the first question we have for you uh, is, what are the keys to learning a language? Uh, first of all, it's, of course, hard work. You need to work. Everyone who tells you that you can do it without work or learn it in such a fast pace, it's not the truth. You need to work and you need to be interested in the language itself and in the culture that surrounds the language. Oh, very nice. Um, uh, on, can you give a couple of um, specific methods that you think that are really um, you know, high quality, very good for students to, to focus on? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I will say that if you using a dictionary, use always a paper dictionary. Don't use an app or don't use the Google Translator. Use a paper dictionary because the amount of work you put in to find a word, it helps you really remembering the word. So it's more work that you put in, but the outcome is going to be much more fruitful. And a second method that I say is if you start to learn a new language and you have the possibility, learn two languages at once. For example, if you learn Hindi, learn the Urdu alphabet and learn Urdu with it. If you learn Chinese, learn the traditional and the simplified characters. It sounds like it's too much work and too much effort, but it's really not. You will get used to it really quickly. And once you got used to it, you can't even imagine going back to another way and it's going to be so much more fruitful and the results will be so much better. That's very interesting. Um, sounds, it almost sounds counter to what many people uh, would recommend, but you're saying that by learning two languages simultaneously, it can actually produce better results. Yes, and they, of course they have to be similar in one way or another, but it will help you really to memorize the stuff better. For example, in Hindi, if you speak Hindi or you learn Hindi, you always have the words from Sanskrit and you will have the words from Urdu, which come from Arabic and Persian language. So for example, thank you, it's Dhanyavad in Hindi, but Shukriya in Urdu. So you will hear Shukriya much more often in India itself. Learn both, you'll be great and learn both writings with the Arabic script and the Devanagari script. It's going to help you a lot. Very interesting. And so, you know, initially when you were talking about keys to learning a language that you said that you have to be interested in the language, which leads me to the next question. What are the motivations to learn a language, um, you know, and how important is that? And we talked again about that interest, but if you don't have interest and you're sort of forced to learn a language or, or maybe how you can talk about how do you develop the motivation, if you will, you spoke about needing to put in the work, but is it possible to motivate yourself to, to learn a language? Well, it depends on your goal because let's say you start to learn a language because you're already interested in it. When I was in university and I learned Chinese, how do you learn Chinese? And so many of the male students said, I watched a lot of Kung Fu movies and I wanted to be able to read the characters and to understand what they're saying. So that's why I'm here now. So there was a base interest already there through Chinese movies with Kung Fu. And they started to learn this. If you are like, I need to make it so I earn money, it's good for a job. You need to find some more interest than just to learn it to make money and to be job related, you know. Okay, Lazarus. So you spoke about um, 
you know, needing to have an interest to learn a language. And so in, that kind of leads into my next question, you know, what are the motivations to learning a language? And can you motivate yourself to learn a language? Is that, is that possible to, to find a way to motivate yourself to learn a language? Yes, it's possible. And most of the times people start out with having already a motivation. For example, when I was studying Chinese, the professor asked us, why do you want to learn Chinese? And a lot of the male students were saying, oh, because I watched a lot of Kung Fu movies and I wanted to understand what they say and read the characters, so that's why I'm here now. If you learn it just for the job or you want to make money with it, then it's obviously a bit harder because then you need to find the motivation. So if you are, don't have an interest in the beginning, so you start to learn a language, you know, have to and want to as two separate things to find a way to motivate you. You know, obviously the best thing in real life, it's maybe for a girlfriend or something. <laughs> this can really motivate you to learn a language and to express yourself what you're feeling and you want to say. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I, I think that, you know, finding something that you already love, uh, whatever that is, and using that as a way to motivate yourself on learning a, a new language can be very, very fruitful, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. For example, let's say you're interested in cooking and eating. So every country has obviously its own recipes and its own eating culture. So there you can learn a lot about language and its culture with trying out different dishes, look up the spices, what they're doing. There is a lot of history behind that. So this is just one example. Obviously, if you like music, listen to the songs you like, mm -hmm. try to understand the lyrics, maybe write your own lyrics itself. So for composing music, a different language can be also very useful to express your love for another country or something like this. So the, the base where the interest comes from is not limited. It's certainly unlimited. Everything that can interest someone can also motivate him to learn a language. And this is the base to learn a new language, in my opinion. Interesting. And, and what got you interested in, in learning um, Chinese and Hindi, um, mm -hmm. Lazarus? Was, was, was that, did that come from um, the, 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 the food, the culture? The girlfriend? Um. Well, you know, my sister was living in China yeah. and I just came out from my evening school where I made my abitur yeah. and I, I studied Latin in abitur. Okay. So I made my Latin exam, but when I started to reach a level where I was, my, I mean, obviously my teacher was really impressed and she was like, hey, you need to study Latin, go to university into Latin. But when I started to practicing for the final examination, I wrote lyrics myself. Oh, in Latin, so I gave, I passed them to him to correct them or to check it out if something's wrong or right. And he always kept saying, "You're wasting your time. Just practice translation. It's the most important thing." So I thought to myself, "I don't want to be stuck in an office where I only translate 2,000-year-old texts. I want to create something myself with a new language." So that's why I decided not to go for Latin, but to go for another language, yeah. and. His suggestion was go for Italian, Romanian, Spanish, because you know Latin already, it will be easier. Uh, but I wanted something completely new. And since my sister was living in China and I love so many aspects of China, I stick with Chinese, you know. Oh, cool. Oh, very nice. Mm -hmm. And so, yep. do you want me to ask a question? So, yeah, yeah, next, um, next So, you know, you, you've spoken a lot about, you know, the, the process for the learner, the student, and even your own 
uh, reasons as to why you were wanting to learn new languages. But what is important, you know, for the teacher, you know, if, if you're teaching uh, languages, you know, what's important to keep in mind, do you think, as, as someone who's taught and for others who are teaching, what, what do you want to keep in your mind for the important aspects of teaching a foreign language? Mm -hmm. To teach a foreign language, you first of all, it's like to teach with everything you teach. You need to check out and to understand the individual needs, the individual needs from the student, because every student is different. Every student needs another process. And very important, and many teachers don't agree with me, look what his aim is and what he really requires. If someone isn't, wants to study engineering and he doesn't need the language or he does just need it until B1, just bring him to B1, you know, to the level B1. Don't look for him to understand Goethe or Schiller or whatever, because it's a waste of time for you and for him. First, look what he's individually, where his strengths are, and try to focus your teaching on him. Second, look what his goals are, and try to adapt your teaching to his goals, and not overdo it. Otherwise, the student might get frustrated, it's too much for him, he will lose interest. Really keep it down to the actual needs of the student. So. I, I really enjoy that and, I, and myself, I, I really agree with that because I think, you know, when you take the time to get to know your students, especially when it's a one-on-one -on -one environment, I think they're more engaged because they realize that you are really taking an interest in, you know, uh, the goals that he or she may have, what they want to get out of it. So I, I, I definitely agree with that, um, that process for sure. Yeah, that sounds and, like an excellent uh, um, line of thinking. Um, and, and, but I, I'd like to also ask you, Lazarus, so what's, what makes you um, unique as a teacher? What, like, what are your, you know, personal um, strengths um, in terms of the strategy you use to, to help students in general? Like, what, what techniques are, are, are yours? I don't want you to give away the secret sauce, but, you know. Oh, no. Some, some, some ideas. First, of all, first of all, I would say inter intercultural competence is important. It's often seen as a soft skill, but I think it's really a hard skill because to be able to understand where these people come from, what background they have, and what the mindset is of the people coming from the part of the world they are coming. I mean, I have, I have had students from over 100 countries so far, and some things I see at all the students who come from a certain country are the same, so need to adapt to them and be patient, of course, and really don't think that you are the most important thing. Your student is the most important thing as a teacher. Because in Greek school, when I was a kid, I mean, it's 30 years ago, the, the teacher was allowed to hit us, to beat us if we had the homework and stuff. So it wasn't really not, I, I could never do something like this with my students, you know, just because he forgot to write Straße with sharp S and instead he wrote it with double S or something like this yeah. to blast off. Be patient and understand you are there for the student, you know? So th that's, that's one of your general um, skills that you're a patient person, but is there anything else in terms of tools that you like to use that maybe not other teachers would use? Yes, I try to implement some aspects of my all everyday life. I like to produce music. So while I was producing and still teaching, I thought to myself, why not put the gear I use to make music 
and try to implement it into my classroom. So I came up with a way to use a digital audio workstation. I use Ableton Live and I have a controller that push for it. And with this, the audio training becomes much more advanced, much more interesting also to the students because they see you using that gear and it shines with all its lights and stuff. Yeah. It's not this boring CD player, you put the CD in, it doesn't sound good. So. As a teacher, I found out that audio training is not very much focused on. They all pay attention to the book and the lessons that are in there and they follow the lessons. You need to step outside the box, you think outside the box, you implement new ways, you implement new technology, you try to reach your students with that. And so far I have made good experiences with it and I like to continue it. And so, you know, it's been really great uh learning about your, you know, your approach to teaching language and, you know, some of the, the principles that you've used, but what would you advise uh, someone who wants to learn a language? We've talked, you know, obviously finding the motivation, things of that nature, but do you have any other advice that you would offer students who are, are wanting to learn a foreign language? Mm -hmm. Apart from the strategies I just told you, I mean, you don't have to really start to learn two languages at once or something like this. But really don't fall for the people who try to use the marketing as you will learn it so fast and with no work. It's really not the truth. You need to do some work and you really need to put some focus in it. And it doesn't have to be exaggerated, but obviously a lot of my students are working. So they're learning a language after their work. Simply put it in your mind that one hour a day will really help you much more than thinking that oh, I'm going to learn it so easy with this book and that book, you know. How many books have you seen and who are called learn Russian in four weeks, learn Chinese in one month, learn English in two days. And, you know, it's simply not the truth. You need patience and you need dedication. And of course, you will need to work. I agree. I was just going to say that I think that obviously if you could spend an hour a day, that's, that's wonderful. But I think even 15 or 20 minutes a day, every day, it's that sort of that small continuous progress that you make makes all the difference. And sometimes it can be daunting to feel like I need to spend an hour every day or I've got class twice a week and it's two or three hours in the evening after work. That's almost too much for some people and then they end up, I think, losing motivation and they, they end up losing that sort of uh, forward progress. And so sometimes just keeping it to a, a more manageable amount of time, but doing it on a daily basis can be helpful. I, I couldn't agree more. Slowly but steady wins the race. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Rico, we should cover? Um... Well, yeah, I just, you know, I mean, obviously, Lazarus, uh, you, you're, you're clearly, uh, you know, polyglot, uh, probably a polymath as well. Um, but are there other fun facts about yourself? I mean, you know, this is about highlighting you as a teacher on the Learn Easy platform, but you know, can tell us what's something that's interesting or fun about you as a person, not just the teacher. Hmm. I can tell you this much without wanting to toot my own horn too much, but so far the receptions that I got from my students, you know, it's, I, I was surprised by myself when I really started to go to schools whenever I was a supplement teacher for someone who was ill and I filled in for him whenever I was doing that, all the students came back and were like, when you will be with us again, why did you come with us, why you are not staying with us. So I don't know, I would say I'm more easygoing than some 
old-fashioned teachers and I try to look to the students as people, not just as the clear student that, all right, he needs to learn page one to 10 in one week. So that's my only focus. I'm also interested in the people and what they're doing. And I think I have a sensitive amount of feeling for people and for their stuff, you know. Yeah, but I, you, you, you kind of are trying to, to hide the fact that you're a rapper or? or... <laughs> no, no, I don't try to hide it, you know. It's nothing that I bring up in school so much so that I tell them, hey, I'm rapping and I'm doing this and that. But I think it helps me myself, for example, to uh, I have f fun fact. I have a lot of students who come from the Musikhochschule in Freiburg. Cool. You know, they're imported as because the Germans are, have become kind of lazy in learning instruments or type of things. So they get a lot of people from uh, Asia over. Okay. To learn the thing, so there maybe with these students, I won't obviously tell them that I'm rapping, but I'm gonna put in the music production that I'm doing and talk about them. So this will give them like, oh, he understands what I'm talking about, you know. Awesome, awesome. Oh, that's that's what I'm talking about. That's a fun fact. We we got a and, rapper, <laughs> the teacher. And, and, and so and really, the, the last question we have for you, Lazaros, is yeah. is mm -hmm. where can potential students find you? You know, if, if if people who are listening to this podcast or video cast, uh, you know, happen upon this uh, episode and they want to work with you directly, how how can they find you? Of course, they can find me over learneasy.com. But they also can send me an email at l.keskinidis at hotmail.de. Mm -hmm. There they can talk to me if they, if they want some advice or some courses. We can talk it over. And I'm working on a YouTube page and on our own page about right now. It's not done yet. So once it's finalized, maybe I have an update for you to come to tell you where to find me. But via email, you should be good if you really want to get in touch with me. Send me an email. I will respond. We can talk it out. All right. Sounds well, good. thank you very much, Lazaros. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you as a uh, language teacher and coach and musician. And uh, we really want to wish you all the best. I know these times are difficult, but thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule to come on to our show. And we look forward to uh, touching base with you again very, very soon. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was really nice. And go over to learneasy.com and we get in touch. It's really no biggie. Oh, awesome. All right. Thank you, Lazarus, again. Okay. Great. Up. Thanks a lot. Welcome back uh, from the interview. And I just, I hope everybody enjoyed getting to uh, know a little bit more about Lazarus Keskinidis. Uh, certainly a very talented person. Uh, I almost feel like he's kind of a polymath, a lot of interests, multilingual, musician, very talented gentleman. So, you know, if you want to connect with him, we'll definitely make that possible. But yes. we hope you've enjoyed the eighth episode of Learn Easy. Yep. Um, and we look forward to seeing you in future episodes and having more guests on the show. Yeah. And don't don't forget, you can you can take courses of Lazarus um through learneasy.com and uh and hopefully we'll also link to his future website uh, when he gets it done okay so keep learning easy and i'll see you next time all right ciao rico ciao ciao, ciao. okay <laughs>